to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and this is the final episode of 2021. It's been an amazing year. We've released 52 episodes in 52 weeks, and I really want to thank all the amazing guests that have come on the podcast, all the amazing listeners that have been with us from the beginning. I love getting messages on LinkedIn or social media or emails, really love feedback and yeah, really want to thank both our guests and our listeners very much for contributing towards uh, the, the past year. Now, I also want to thank our, our partners and our sponsors. So Kenatire has been a, a partner of the podcast from almost the beginning. They're an amazing equipment rental business in Australia. Uh, I also want to thank all of our sponsors in particular so we've had a number of sponsors over the past year so Macinex, Record360, Impera, Big Rents and our current major sponsor which is Arrow so if you are looking to empower your, your sales team go check out Arrow they're an amazing CRM solution there's not many CRM solutions out there that actually focus on a niche market like the equipment rental and sales industry so yeah check out them if you want to help improve your productivity as your sales team and for today's episode, I wanted to make it a bit more casual. So I wanted to actually take the time and reflect on some of my favorite moments of the past year. So I spent a bit of time yesterday going through and listening to a whole range of episodes again, skipping through and writing down some of my favorite moments. So I've made a top 10 list and we're going to go through those top 10 lists and I'll explain why I think that it's in my top 10. It's not necessarily the top 10 best episodes, but just my favorite moments. And yeah, we'll talk a little bit about it and we'll actually play a clip from the from the, the podcast episode as well. And I think it'd be a great way to just reflect on the past year. So coming in at number 10, I want to reflect on the episode with Rod Latino, which is episode number 31 from Cooper Equipment Rentals in Canada. So this episode jumped out at me and this particular moment jumped out at me because I asked Rod, what are some of the challenges he's faced in his early part of his career and how do they differ to the challenges he faced today? He had quite a long answer and he spoke about various challenges, but in particular, he spoke about some of the challenges of going from just an employee doing his day-to-day job to then eventually becoming somewhat of a, of a manager and working up throughout his career. And he spoke about the challenge of taking on too much work and trying to become indispensable. And it's impossible. If you want to be a leader, if you want to grow in your in your business or your role or your career, you can't do everything yourself. You need to ask for help. You need to grow your team. So Rod actually talks through this quite, quite well. So check out number 10, which is Rod Latino, episode 31. Here it is. Initially, it was just a void of knowledge that became a real point of motivation for me to grow and learn. So I dug deeper and, and just basically immersed myself in, in other aspects of the other departments and learning how they worked and how you know my relationship affected theirs and vice versa, um, so that I can get a larger picture of you know where how I fit in. But I also wanted to be a, an indispensable resource, so I wore a lot of hats very early on. I, I had a lot of time on my hands so I could dedicate myself uh, to the business. And once I established myself as a critical resource, um, I realized time management was an issue for me. Um, just there was too much being asked of me. I had, I had somewhat created a monster. Uh, everybody was coming to me for everything. Working longer hours wasn't working 
So I had to find another solution. I had to expand my team uh, to help cope with, uh, with the increased workload because I couldn't do it alone anymore. And, and I had to shed other aspects of my job that no longer fit with my product support role. So I entered into a period of vulnerability because I'd never asked for help before. That wasn't, that wasn't the, the, the persona that I, had, uh, that, that I had envisioned being. I had, to, I had to ask for help. I had to uh, add people to my team and I had to say, look, I can't do this anymore. So that was, that was kind of an early challenge. It was a personal struggle internally in my head, admitting that I just couldn't do it myself, which there's nothing wrong with that. I think, I think in retrospect, it, it shows uh, kind of strength in saying, hey, the, the, there's more here. There's more meat on the bone than I can handle. We need more, more arms and legs. So, um, but at the time, it, I didn't see it that way. Okay, up next at number nine, we have episode 58 with Charles Anderson from Arrow. Now, at this point in time, I don't think Arrow had come on board as a sponsor yet. Uh, I was pretty keen to get Charles on the podcast just to learn a little bit more about Arrow and himself because I'm, I'm pretty strict on who can and can't sponsor the podcast. Now, the reason why I selected this at number nine is there was a particular moment during the podcast episode that he spoke about the stigma behind Serum Solutions. And I was kind of expecting him to come in here and just say, Arrow's the best, it's going to solve all your problems. And yep, we're, we're the, the answer to all your sales productivity issues. Whereas he came in and was quite honest around the stigma behind Serum Solutions that it's just seen as a way to track uh, sales reps. And so... Yeah, he, he spoke and there's a particular quote that he said around sales reps are successful despite their tools, not because of their tools. Uh, CRM solutions haven't been around forever and people have always been somewhat successful in sales. So he, he speaks about this and the stigma and how technology is moving fast and technology needs to support people, not hold them back, not just be seen as a tool to, to track their, their hours. So check out this. Number nine, episode 58 with Charles Anderson from Arrow. Oh, good question. Um, well, um, on one hand, they found a way to make it work without a CRM. So uh, I really haven't seen um, many examples of salespeople being excited about using a CRM. I've seen examples of salespeople learning how to use a CRM in order to report their output metrics to their, their boss or maybe in order to get leads. So I've seen examples of people using the technology. I've never seen an example of a salesperson saying, man, I just love X, Y, and Z system. And the system actually helps me do my job better. Um, so I think one of the biggest challenges that um, I would say most salespeople face, including salespeople in the rental industry, is a CRM is a liability, not an asset. Like when you hear the word CRM, it makes you groan. Like, you don't, you don't hear CRM and do backflips. You're like, ah, you mean the thing that my boss uses to keep track of me? Like that, that's probably like the biggest challenge is like most salespeople have found ways to be successful in today's environment because they are successful despite their tools, not because of their tools. And I think that's the one big challenge that as technology makes information more readily available, Deals move faster. When deals move faster, there's more competition. When there's more competition, margin and prices come down. The only way to really balance that out is have technology to allow humans to do more. 
But if, if that equation's off, if technology isn't allowing you to do more, then everything else is getting harder without technology making your life easier. So at a I don't know, 30,000 foot view, that's probably what I'd say is technology needs to make things easier. Okay, up next at number eight, we have episode 57 with Kyle Clements from Quipley. Now, the reason why I chose this particular moment was I get pretty excited about people that are new to the industry and are technology focused. I've, I've come into the industry from a technology standpoint. So whenever I see new people coming into the industry that are keen to make change uh, and aren't scared to ask questions and, and, and look at things from a different perspective, it really gets my interest. Now, when I spoke to Kyle, he quickly provides shopfront solutions, let's call it, or an e-commerce solution where people can rent things online through their current website or, or they can build them a front-end solution. So you can check your reservations, um, you can get quotes online, you can check rates, you can, all that sort of stuff. Like basically taking your business online. And it's not about the fact that they were building something that was taking something online. It was the fact that during the podcast episode, he spoke about interviewing 50 plus people from the equipment rental industry and asking them questions. And I, I just loved it. I love the fact that he went out and interviewed people who's new to the industry. He was probably asking a lot of dumb questions and they were confused, but he eventually got there. And so I spoke to him about what were some of the people that were against the change of maybe a new e-commerce solution and what were the responses from the 50 people that were keen on change so this is number eight with episode 57 with Kyle Clements from Quipley yeah I think the people you know that were against it I think one conversation um, sticks out to me uh, specifically with the person said you know I he's literally said I hate change you know we've been running our business it's been working um, why do you, why do you people like you have to bring change to the industry and I think, um, I think there was a little bit of a fear that you could be left behind uh, if, if the technology was coming, you know, the robots, the machines. I think there's fear that people could be replaced. And again, that's not our vision. I think what we're really trying to do is enable rental companies and enable what they're already doing well and just strengthen that. And kind of really build what the top three players are building for their companies and bringing that for the rest of the industry. So I think there was an element of fear. Um, you know, the second thing that kind of came up was I've been in the business for 30 or 40 years. Uh, it hasn't changed much. It's always been this way. So what makes you think it's going to change again? And, um, you know, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of thinking. And I think that's, there's some validity to that, right? If, if this online renting doesn't truly catch on, you know, there's no wave to be missed. You can kind of just keep doing what you're doing and, 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 and everything kind of goes as planned. So I think it's really around like the adoption curves you think about with the kind of the adoption curve of the early adopters and then the, you know, fast followers types of thing. And then at the end you have the laggards. So I think for us, it wasn't so much that um, people were totally against the idea. It was more of a timing thing where a lot of people were in the wait and see, like, okay, I could see that happening, but I don't want to be the first group to do that. And if it comes to the industry, I'll jump on board. But in the meantime, things are working. So um, I don't really feel the need to change. So I think that was, um, I would probably say, I don't know, 70% of the groups were kind of in that mindset where things are working. I don't really feel the need to adapt. And then the customers that were more innovative, they're more the, uh, the risk-taking group. I think they're a little bit younger and they were really just around, I don't know if this is going to work, but I want to try it. And I, I could see how this could work. I, you know, I, 
you know, I, like I said, I order plane tickets on my phone. I, you know, the plane, you know, my United Airlines will text me if the plane's late and being able to be really customer centric and, and mobile first, those types of things. Like they experience that in their daily lives and they want to bring that to, to their business. So I think those groups that are willing to take a risk. And obviously if you're signing up with a company that hasn't written a line of code yet, you're going to be on the risk taker side. So I think those, those initial groups really had to believe what we were doing and really saw the vision. So I think there's just people willing to take a risk and really, um, see if they can be proactive around changing the way the industry operates. That's amazing. If you're looking to take your business online and don't know where to start when it comes to an e-commerce solution or a website that you want to develop, go check out Quiply. That's Q-U-I-P-L-I. Great company and they're the next generation of technology people in the equipment rental industry. That's for sure. All right. Up next, we have an icon from the equipment rental industry. Her name is Colleen Cohen. It's episode 59. She's coming at number seven for the moment. Now, Colleen is actually retiring this year. So I just want to make a shout out to Colleen for all the efforts that she's given to the industry. This is, I think it's her 47th year in the industry, which is unbelievable. She's based in Australia. She lives in Queensland. She's worked with some of the largest equipment rental companies in Australia. Uh, she started in the early 70s and she currently works at a company called Base Plan. And yeah, want to talk through a moment where she came on the podcast and spoke about how she got into more of the change management and the technology side of a, of a large equipment rental business like National Hire and Coates. But in particular, want her, I love the part where she reflects on some of the people she used to work with in the early days. So she, she name drops, I think, Adrian Manning and Greg Parfit, who are both leaders in the equipment rental industry now. So Greg Parfit is the CEO at Orange High, which is a large company in Australia. And Adrian Manning is the chief operating officer at Coats Hire, which is the largest equipment rental business in Australia. So check out this moment number seven with Colleen Cohen, which is episode 59. The start of it came from um, I knew the stakeholders in National Hire quite well. So I didn't really want to feel like I let them down for a start. And I had been doing it for more than 10 years already. So, well, for about 10 years already. So it was something I already knew well. Um, and thought that, you know, I always thought I could make a change, you know, that you'd put systems in and things in place that would matter. And that gave me a lot of satisfaction. So it sounds like you got involved a lot when there was change management or the implementations of certain systems in there. So like, was that something that you really liked from the start or like who sort of pushed in that direction? Because I was managing the office, each step forward that we took was I was involved in and um, I put two different systems in. I put the um, trilogy system in, um, wrote all the documentations, implemented that into all the branches. And then I said, Stephen Donnelly Hire already had that. So that was easy to merge together. We grew out of that system. And then it was time to go looking for another system. And I was still the office manager. So it was my job to go and find something else. So, and I loved that. that I really enjoyed that sort of thing. The mergers and acquisitions part, going and, um, you know, seeing these other companies. It was exciting when, you know, you bought another company or 
keep growing, actually. It was really good. Then uh, once we became National High, there was lots of training to do by then because you, know, you could do leadership and all these other courses that way back in the years gone by um, weren't available. So I enjoyed all that as well. So let's go up to National Hire then. You start at National Hire. Like what's your role when it becomes one? Okay, office manager. Well, administration coordinator, it was called. What was the transition? Because was it just pure growth? Like what, what, was, what did the team look like? Well, there was um, people from each of the businesses that were very good at their own roles. So I managed admin. There was another person that took over the managing of the workshop. Uh, another person took over the rental side of it. Another person took over the advertising and marketing, which we hadn't had before, did that role. And another person took over looking after access and toilets. That person, by the way, was Greg Parfit. I think you know his name. He looked after that side of the business as well. So there were four or five uh, coordinators, we were called, of each of the departments. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what, what are some, some of the names that were thrown around back then? Adrian Manning. When I started um, just before the merge, when I, I used to work for um, St George Rentals on weekends doing their book work, and Adrian Manning was the hire controller not even the, the branch manager at that point. Um, that's where I first met him. Neil Wallace was working as the mechanic in the workshop. And as you probably know, he went on to um, work for National Hire and then he moved on and bought his own business called Rentquip down in Mittagong. So, wow. yeah, it's interesting to watch these boys grow from, you know, young, young boys to the positions that they had in the end. It was um, a, a really... Um, when you sit back and look at it, it was really nice to see that growth. All right. Up next, we have another icon from the equipment rental industry, which was just mentioned by Colleen as well. So it is number six for our moments, which is episode 22 with Adrian Manning from Coats Hire. Now, the reason why I really like this moment was because he provided some insights into something called project 64 which is where there was a lot of change happening within the coats hire business and the companies like uh shawco prestige portables and then the the various coats business units were getting shifted around and he also talks around the time that he worked at coats he moved to kennard's hire and then he came back to coats when the merger of National Hire into Coats Hire happened. So there's just a lot of interesting insight into this whole podcast episode, which is quite amazing. And this particular moment, uh, I saw he capulates a lot of it into that one section. So check this out. This is episode 22 with Adrian Manning, which is number six for the moments. There was some other stuff that folks probably haven't an awareness of too that internally within Coates, they'd just gone through this quite traumatic experience called Project 64 or P64. So it sounds like an old Leyland car, but it was, um, if, if you recall the Prestige business, the Shawco business and the Coates business, so it, those three those three brands, if you like, but the Coates business had four 
business units within that, you know, north, south, east, west is how the, the business is arranged. Um, so those four plus the other two specialties were the six business units. So that's the six in Project 64. And they were basically stripping away the specialization to push the specialists into those four geographic BUs. Now that was pretty traumatic. And I think, I think that caused, um, you know, whilst, whilst it had some short-term uh, financial reasons to do it um, for, the, for the Coates board at that time, it, it probably did a bit of long-term damage to the business. And then, then throw the national, um, you know, the merger with national, which, which was actually a reverse takeover. The little business national bought the big guy, which was unusual as well. Um, so there was quite a lot of turmoil there between Project 64 that predated National and then National and Coates coming together. So I guess that's what led to, um, I guess, an opportunity for me to join the Coates business. Now, the, the good news is there's always an upside. There's always um, to any problem, there's an opportunity. And I think that's that's where the Coates business, um, where it settled down and it had a very, very strong management team. There was a lot of strength at National Hire. And there was a lot of strength of code. So uh, notwithstanding the challenges that were real and absolutely caused a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, turmoil at the time, um, the business bounced through that fairly quickly. And not long after, um, we sort of ran into you know, the mining boom, the resource boom, and you know, off it went like, uh, like a bit of a rocket ship. So yeah, I think it was um, <laughs> quite a traumatic time. Lots of lessons out of it. Interesting to see the deal almost from both sides, being outside initially, or being inside to watch the buildup of National, then being outside when it happened, and then being invited back into a, a new inside in the Coates family to, to take the business forward. All right, anyone that used to work at National Hire or Coates during that period of time, I'm sure you can probably relate to a lot of things that Adrian just spoke about. And there's definitely some pretty interesting insight in that entire episode. So go check that out. All right, number five for the moments is with episode 26 with Manel Murphy. Manel is the general manager of marketing and customer experience at Kennards Hire. And the reason I like this particular moment was Earlier in the year for International Women's Day, we actually recorded and posted six podcasts in six days, all women from the equipment rental industry, and just shared their experiences and their stories. And And look, they, they all had great episodes. I think they shared some amazing insights. But Manel in particular, I, I asked her the question around how we can attract more women into construction and equipment rental in general. And so I just absolutely loved her insight that she provided. So this is moment number five with Manel Murphy from episode 26. Here it is. I was thinking about this just recently, particularly because, you know, the whole gender equity thing is such an important piece that we all should be leaders in championing. And I realized that if you really just break it down to the human basics of it, from a female, from a woman's point of view, you know, there are some fundamental things that uh, a woman feels like she needs to be able to kind of really progress and feel comfortable in her career progression in any industry, you know, and, and to me, they break down to simple things such as, you know, um, being treated equally, uh, being respected, not feeling intimidated in the workplace, and that's all about inclusiveness. 
It's about having the opportunity to progress in their career and not feeling like they're going to be shackled because of their gender and that they're going to be seen as serious players that can progress in their career. And I think finally, it's about having being able to, as a woman, feel confident that you can make your life choices, that you can have your children and need the time off and be able to look after them and give them everything that you, know, you need to as a mother and, and be supported by the organisation you work for or the industry you work for, that that is a part of life and we provide that flexibility. And so for me, I've certainly felt that in the hiring industry. So how do we do that, I guess, on a broader scale to kind of shape the um, understanding generally um, in the hiring industry for, for us to attract women? I think it goes back to basics of shifting perception. You know, so I'll put my brand hat on here. You know, perception is reality. If the industry is constantly telling stories that are, you know, blokey type of stories, championing the men that lead in the industry, you know, women will form the view that I don't belong and we need to feel this sense of belonging. So if we're celebrating stories of women that have progressed in their career, how they did manage to find flexible work-life balance, how they were supported when they had children, how they were supported coming back from maternity leave and continuing their career and how they can balance work, life, children and career and that the higher industry is supportive of that and has the strategies and initiatives in place to support that. I think that comes that will take us a long way in shifting that perception and making women kind of feel like, hey, I choose. I wanted to make a choice to move into that. It's not so scary. And mm. I think they're the things that we need to attend to, not as brands on our own, as a collective in the hiring industry. Yeah, what an amazing individual to have in the industry. All right, up next at number four, we have episode 19 with Jamie Hayes. Now, the reason why I like this particular episode and this moment in this episode, sorry, was Jamie, he's just such a confident person and everything just seems like put together. And yeah, I, I'd i spoken to him before the episode just to get to know him a little bit better and didn't know too much about like what we're going to get into. I just knew that he started his own business called Mr. Traffic Hire in Australia and Victoria. And yeah, he... He kind of caught me by surprise because this super confident guy came out and spoke about burnout and spoke about the challenges of mental health and how it affected him in part of his career and how he had to quit and just take a step back because he was struggling. So the guy I have to commend him for coming out and and speaking out about some of these types of topics and yeah, really, really impressed with what he came out with. So this is my favorite moment number four from episode 19 with Jamie Hayes. Um, worked all sorts of ridiculous hours, more so for myself because I didn't want to fail. You know, I suppose if I failed, then the business failed and there was a lot on the line. There's still barrier systems, you know, back then was eight, nine hundred thousand dollars a kilometer. So it was a huge investment and we had to make it work. But to make it work, the majority of the install was nighttime all hours of the night, staff was always an issue. We could never get enough people. It didn't matter where we pulled them from, labour hire or otherwise. So I always found myself to be the first one in, the last one to leave. And sometimes I'd go right through and just sleep on the couch and just 
um, we'll do whatever I need to do just to make sure we get the barrier on the road. But I mean, that can only last so long. It took us six months to get the barrier out. And by the end of it, I had nothing left. I was just, I was that tired that I couldn't get out of bed some mornings. And I was just ended up on the couch. And, you know, I still remember one day my missus walking out. and I've had a shower. I've gotten dressed. And I've put my PJs back on and jumped on the couch. And she was like, what's wrong? What are you doing? This is unlike you. And I said, I've got nothing. I'm not going to work. I can't do it. She says to me, I've never seen you like this before. You're normally the one that's driven, the one that wants to push, the one that wants to go hard. And no matter what the cost, just do it and get it done. I said, well, I don't. I've lost it. I don't, I don't have the energy to do it anymore. So she says to me, well, you know what's going on. We'll be right for a few months. I said, yeah, we will. She goes, well, why don't you resign? And I said, then what? She goes, just resign. I'm sure we'll work it out. So I did. I walked in the next day. I handed in my resignation. They wanted me to work out six weeks so they could find their feet. I did what I could. I think I went in every second day or whatever I could for, for three or four weeks. And in the end, they put on a barbecue for me and I said, thank you very much. See you later. Yeah, what an amazing story. And yeah, tune into that episode. That's episode 19. And yeah, Jamie really, yeah, great person. And it's great to hear that he's come out on the other side and has an amazing business called Mr. Traffic Hire. And yeah, that's awesome. All right, in at number three, final three, we have episode 65 with Aaron Johnston. Now, look, Aaron is the is the president for the events side for the Hire and Rental Industry Association. She also owns her own business with a partner called South Coast Party Hire. And I interviewed a couple of people around how COVID has affected their events business. And look, I just asked Aaron some of the hard questions. So look, how has it affected you financially with your staff? How did you turn, how did you survive? The questions I think people just need to learn about when when shutdowns happened. And yeah, and some of the shutdowns in Australia have been quite crazy so look we we dive into some pretty intense stuff uh for this moment and uh gets to the point where Aaron gets quite upset and he starts crying uh but look I think it's a a great chance for us to tell the story of how some of these businesses have been affected so this is number three moment number three with Aaron Johnston from episode 65 here it is so I guess going back 18 months to March 2020, um, when sort of, I guess, COVID, we didn't really know a lot about it. And then all of a sudden it just reared its ugly head in March and and slowly but surely we started getting calls from clients and we were like, oh, this is a bit weird. Like, what's going on here? How's this going to affect us? And Nathan and I, one of our biggest strengths is, you know, responding quickly to things and, and you know, I guess really coming up with strategies that help us to to ensure our business stays viable but we'd never experienced anything like this before we'd experienced the bushfires in the January which had a massive impact on our business as well on the south coast but this was just starting to become much bigger than that and I I sort of remember the one day and I can't remember what the date was but it was in late March where all of a sudden we lost everything overnight it was just like every single job that we had in our system for the next you know four to five months just disappeared and it's (laughs) 
it was the most crazy feeling because I had the girls saying to me, what do we do? This person's calling. What am I going to say? And all of a sudden I just started laughing and I was just like, wow, I really don't know what else to do but laugh because if I don't laugh, I might cry. <laughs> so, you know, we sort of didn't really have a plan. And I think looking back now, I, I can see that there was no plan to be made. There was nothing that we could have done. It was out of our hands. And I think that's for a lot of people, that's the struggle is that you know you it's out of your control you you experience day-to-day so much control over what you do in your business how you run it who you hire what your prices are you know whether you take clients on whether you you know chase quotes or or book jobs but this was just like it was it was just totally out of our control so you know I guess in 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 a nutshell we lost 99.9% of our work overnight so it was it was pretty gut-wrenching um, to watch something that you built from scratch torn down overnight, but we're still here. <laughs> wow. I, I can't imagine the, the feeling. And yeah, as you said, you can't plan for that sort of stuff. And the worst part I'm thinking about it is in Australia, like we opened up, it started again. We're like, hey, we're back. Events yep. are back. And then it shut down again. And so it's like, yep. you thought you were coming back and then, yeah. So that, that's yeah. tough. And I think that's probably been the hardest thing is the roller coaster so at every step of the way like our focus has been our staff and you know keeping them informed with our financial position making sure they understand what we can do for them what we can't do for them and you know Nathan and I have always been extremely honest with our staff about our position and they they know and trust us like and I know that they all knew we, we were doing what we had to do when we stood everyone down, but it still killed us to do it. So, um, but you know, then then JobKeeper came in, so that was a positive. Um, we closed our business for about six weeks um, during the real height of that uh, period, from sort of you know most of April and three quarters of May. Um, so we just took that time to reflect on you know what was happening and what regroup and decide how we were going to move ahead with everything. Um, the phones died completely like literally zero calls zero emails because at that time you've got to think no one knew what the future was at all like you know uh it was just there was no future for events at that point so it just just died um so that was i guess like you said it was it was that roller coaster that's probably been the biggest killer um when we sort of came back in you know September October last year when things started to pick up again for us we were inundated like we were absolutely smashed and the challenge with that was we'd lost you know 80% of our staff so we you know because there were a lot of people that felt unsure about the future of events when they were stood down for long periods of time so there were a lot of people that took the opportunity to find employment in other industries that they thought might be more stable in the future um so we did lose um a large percentage of our our team which was really difficult um, because we lost we have such an incredible training program that we've built ourselves within our business and we train people to within an inch of their lives and that takes time it's not it's not an unskilled industry that we're in it's one that requires a lot of skill to be able to install marquees and deliver equipment so we lost that so so we limped through the end of last year and the beginning of this year with 80% we 80% of our staff um 
were new to the business and it had a huge impact on that culture that I talked about before that we built um, because there wasn't enough of us here to, to build it. So we had so many new people that just were just running around like chickens with their heads chopped off, no idea what they were doing and not enough of us that had that foundation understanding of what we stood for. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was hard from sort of October last year, October, November, quieter. And then, yeah, come January, February this year, it just went off again. So most of those bookings were postponed bookings that we were delivering. Um, so, uh, but nevertheless, we were, we were just stoked to be back working again, to be honest. And it, and it really did start to feel normal again. And then, yeah, then June again and back again back back into it I think there was another small lull in October last year where there was an outbreak as well or December I think it was but you know I had a had an email from a client the other day who was who was a little bit upset that you know we weren't refunding deposits and she had to transfer a booking and how it was devastating for her and as much as I totally understand and empathize with everyone's situation like I said to her you know everyone has a story <laughs> like everyone's got struggles and you know we're staring down the barrel of rebuilding our business again for a third time in 18 months like it's yeah it can be hard yeah it's absolutely heartbreaking to hear stories like that but it- it's pretty important to increase the awareness and I think Aaron did a great job of, of opening up and, and just explaining how something like COVID-19 has really affected their business in, in the event rental side. All right, on to moment number two with episode 17 with Donald Chabonet. Now, look, Donald's been in the industry for... I think it must be close to 50 years. It's been a very long time. He's he's definitely an icon. He was on the front page of the RER magazine a long time ago. He's had multiple businesses. He's worked at multiple businesses. He's based in the US. Now, he actually had his own podcast called Rental Equipped Talk Radio, which is the original podcast in the equipment rental industry he was kind enough to actually give me some tips and caught up with me when i first started and he also wrote a book called screw you the comeback is always stronger than the setback and so look i i caught up with him on the podcast and i wanted to learn about his story hadn't read his book yet and i knew there was a bit of meaning behind the book called screw you so I asked him, yeah, there, there was an accident. There was an accident that happened, uh, which triggered him writing the book. And it was based around the equipment rental industry and something horrific happened, which meant that his business went under. And yeah, it was very devastating. So I, I get him to explain this story. And yeah, here it is. It's um, Again, it's pretty deep, this one, but... Again, it's a, a great, great story to sort of share around someone's experience in the equipment rental industry. So this is moment number two, episode 17 with Donald Charbonnet. Well, uh, and it is all laid out in, in the book that's on Amazon, but we were big, probably the biggest in the state with chairs and tables. We had 10,000 chairs and 1,000 eight-foot tables. And we had rented uh, a bunch of chairs and tables 
to the Lions Club who was having a bingo fundraiser inside the Louisiana Superdome. And our crews had gone there in the morning, set everything up, and then the crew went back about 6.30 in the evening to pick everything up. Uh, one of our drivers went up into the stands and smoked what is called a clickum. And a clickum is a marijuana cigarette that is dipped in formaldehyde. And when you smoke it, it gives you a PCP effect. So he pretty much was out of his mind, jumped in a truck, drove it around the side, the inside of the dome because we, we were stacking chairs and tables and there was a crowd of people at, at one end and he ran over them all. And the, uh, the lawsuits just were prohibitive. Uh, that's why we had to put the company into bankruptcy to try to protect it under 11. And then the administrative costs got so ridiculous that we just had to fold our tents and call it a day. So it's, uh, it happened January the 6th. Uh, I know the driver, I know the lady's name to date. It's one of those things that, that changed my life. Absolutely tragic story, but yeah, tune in to episode 17 to hear the full story around Donald Charbonnet. But shout out to you, Donald, as well, for all the help that you provided me when I first started the podcast as well. All right, we are up to moment number one. So this is episode 43 with Stephen Donnelly, or Steve Donnelly as he goes by. And look, Steve is an absolute icon for the equipment rental industry when I, I think I sent Steve just a text message asking I got his phone number from somebody and I sent him a text message asking if he'd come on the podcast and he didn't reply for a bit and then eventually he replied and it took it must have been a couple months to try and get him on the podcast and I, I didn't actually think he was going to turn up and I had this mindset of what this person would be like he's he's been in the industry for forever He's the original founder of Stephen Donnelly Hire, which became National Hire, which eventually took over Coates Hire. Uh, he, he was part of the Vortex group of companies, grew that into a monster, and then did, recently just sold that to National MPEs, so National Pump and Energy. So he's just an, a legend of the industry. And so I had this preconceived thoughts around, all right, this is going to be a really tough interview. I'm going to have him with the podcast. It's... Uh, I was quite nervous, and it turns out that Stephen Donnelly is probably the kindest person I've ever met. He He's absolutely so down to earth, and considering what he's achieved over his career, it's unbelievable. So uh, out of all the episodes I've done, I've definitely got the most feedback from this particular podcast, and we spoke for almost an hour and a half. It's a very long episode. Uh, it's so much gold in there, and I didn't know which part to choose. There were so many great moments, but I thought it made sense to probably talk about and share the moment, number one, of around him building up Stephen Donnelly Hire and uh, building that international hire, uh, and then again, eventually getting involved with uh, the West Track brand and eventually merging that into Co-Tire. So... This is moment number one with episode 43 with Stephen Donnelly. In 2003-04, the business was about 30-odd million dollars in revenue, maybe a tad more than that. 
and we had been, and that's when we got um, a placement was done with with West Track, and West Track were the um, caterpillar um, uh, from Western Australia, and part of the um, uh, Kerry Stokes um, uh, businesses, and they at that stage were. Caterpillar had a strategy of the cat rental stores and West Track were in the process of um, uh, to sort of 2000 through 2004, that sort of time, were going to take over the uh, dealerships for New South Wales and the ACT. And an important element of that um, dealership was the cat rental store businesses. And so um, there was a placement made uh, and they took control effectively of the National High Group and um, all of the management stayed around uh, and we then got in and ran the business uh, for a number of years, uh, rolling out uh, initially cat rental stores here in New South Wales. So that was a rebranding of all of the stores. And um, uh, so that meant putting in natural fit sort of products like uh, skid steers, uh, mini excavators, uh, compaction equipment, and then rolling up to larger fleet um, backhoes, um, front end loaders, um, integrated tool handlers and excavators around the place. So that was the first element. Um, the, the business in those days, we had a couple of branches in Victoria and we had a couple of branches in Queensland. So we had a, a bit of a footprint um, but in New South Wales, our only, our, it was only in New South Wales that we had a responsibility to, to co-brand. So that was the, the point behind it. Um, very quickly, uh, we then acquired um, the All Light business and the uh, cat rental stores in Western Australia. So we became a, you know, a consolidated business that had... Um, you know, rental businesses across Australia and and uh, the access to what were key products in in uh, lighting towers and uh, all light also um, assembled water pumps uh, for dewatering and also uh, um, uh, distributed the FG Wilson generator range. So that was step one or step two. And then the, the next side came some other corporate activity, which we were... Um, you know, happy to get out and grow, which included the acquisition of AH Plant Hire, which was a, uh, you know, the former um, uh, Vic Roads business in, in Victoria, which had a lot of dry hire of excavators and et cetera, et cetera. So we were able to use that as a, as a basis of the business to get on and grow further. So there were a couple of elements to accelerate the growth through, you know, one that, um, that, the, the placement with West Track that then got the responsibility for the cat rental store. So it, it put us into a different position from our perspective. It was important because it gave us broader product range uh, and it gave, uh, you know, an association with a wonderful brand like the uh, Caterpillar brand, uh, but also with the West Track business, which had, um, you know, we're a first class business in, Western Australia and with rolling out their business in New South Wales, they would be an important element into construction and mining. So for us, it was a, uh, was a win-win situation.
that then led through to uh, in 2007, 2008, uh, a, um, a structured deal to acquire the Coates High business, which was um, uh, Carlisle, the private equity guys, partnered with, with, um, with ourselves to acquire uh, the Coates business. And then the next element was we merged the national hire business together with the uh, Coates hire business and the branding changed naturally to the larger business being the Coates hire business. I think in those days, Coates hire was turning over sort of circa, you know, 1.1, 1.2 billion and national hire by that stage, it got up to about 360 odd million. Um, and we, um, uh, the national hire business stayed as a listed business, um, but it, and what it did, its only operating business at that stage was the all light business. Uh, and also it's 50% it's ownership in the merged um, uh, Coats Hire slash national hire business. And that concludes my top 10 moments from the 2021 podcast episode. So again, I just want to thank all the guests, all the listeners, all the partners and sponsors that are involved with the podcast. And we're really looking forward to bringing you more content next year. We've got some pretty big plans that we want to work through. And I hope everyone has had a great Christmas and safe holiday period. And yeah, looking forward to putting more content out next year. So cheers and see you in 2022.